Hola, everyone. Welcome. This is Teresa Gonzalez with Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Thank you for joining me today. I have a very special guest, as all my guests are special. But Natalie Molina Nino is going to be our speaker, and she is an entrepreneur and investor and tech globalization veteran who's focused on high growth businesses. She specifically likes to invest in women owned businesses, but also she has a business called Outcomes Over Optics. And we're going to hear a little bit about that today. But where did this chingona come from? Well, she has an awesome book called Leapfrog The New Revolution for Women Entrepreneurs. You can find that, and it is a great book to get started on building your empire and to have empowerment for women to start their business. Natalie has spent 15 years advising organizations such as Disney, Microsoft, MTV, and Mattel, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And she started her first company just at the age of 20. So let's get started. Let's hear this chingona talk about what she's doing around the PPP and the CARES Act and how she wants to help mobilize us in understanding how we can build our communities together. Welcome, Natalie, to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I am so honored, seriously, to have you on my podcast it's so wonderful to have another voice, I have to say, a Latina that's championing a lot of women of color and specifically in business. And I want to thank you for writing your book, Leapfrog, The New Revolution for Women Entrepreneurs. So all of you out there, if you haven't read it, you need to read that book. It changed my life, seriously. And when I get sad, I think I've mentioned this to you in a post somewhere that when I get really bummed out because entrepreneurship is hard. Rough. It's not for the faint. You have your ups and downs. I go back to the book and I look at certain chapters and I'm like, okay, I'm on the right path. You know, I doubt myself. We have those times. And yeah. so I just want to thank you. So Natalie. Hard for everyone, but I would argue that it's even harder for us because it's hard not to have a lot of frames of reference and we're given messages every day that you know we don't fit the mold and so we need more messages that reiterate that we not only do we fit the mold we are the mold exactly and i love the first part of the book that says where you open and talk about your abuelita and that was very heartwarming because our abuelitas really set the foundation of and they put us straight you know doesn't matter what yep. it's either with the you know a concha or a taco or they're gonna tell you look you're not doing this and you just listen to your abuelita. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. you know those our matriarchs have the benefit i think of that hindsight and maybe a little bit of like the bigger picture right where we're drowning in the day-to-day -day reality but they can kind of see where we fit into the big picture in there you know not everybody but i think for a lot of us they have been that guide or maybe even that reminder when we lose our way of sort of where true north is right so i want to bring up patience is not a virtue and that's how you really open the book it's like listen up ladies or here's the wake up call and not only are you bringing a call to action just for women entrepreneurs but right now what's happening during COVID-19 and 
what has just happened with the CARES Act and the PPP. You are on fire right now. And I want to know that quote for today and with your book, you know, what is it right now where patience is not a virtue? Mm -hmm. And what did you mean by that? And how can you apply it to today? You know, people told MLK he was moving too fast, that change should come in Mm -hmm. increments, right? Would come over time. And I think that part of what people lose when we sanitize the memory of people like MLK, right, is that we forget that actually the driving force of a lot of what he was saying was, yeah, no, I'm not going to be patient. It's not going to be slow, mm-hmm. right? It is going to look more like a revolution than an evolution. And I think that's really the mm-hmm. feeling that I wanted to bring forward is the sense of urgency of the fact that we have already been driving the economy. We have already been the force you know, behind so many entrepreneurial ventures and so many brands, like big ones, Coca-Cola, right? Brands that like Mm -hmm. exist because of the Latina, for example, but especially women of color broadly, right? Um, And I think Mm -hmm. that where I wanted to put sort of a fire under us is just to say that we've been waiting long enough, right? anything, if we Mm -hmm. continue to go at the pace that we're at, and this is a statistic that I think I put in the book, is that, you know, the World Economic Forum said that it'll take 170 years to get to gender parity. Who wants to Mm. wait 170 years? Who looks at their daughter and says, Mijita, you're going to have to wait 170 years. Like, the only way that we do right by the people, especially the little girls looking up at us right now, is to Mm -hmm. circumvent the status quo and to be impatient and to say absolutely not 170 years. Yeah, there's no way. And you started in tech, which is the foundation of a lot of, I want to say, closing the wealth gap amongst Latinx, Latinas, just people of color in general. And I've been in tech for 20 years. I've been here in Silicon Valley, but I was not an engineer. I worked more on the go-to-market and strategic partnerships. And I've seen a lot that a lot of women were like yourself. You are the only woman in the room at a big table. And when you're amongst the higher executives, you're really not seen as don't give us your input. You know, you're just kind of here to help facilitate the after meeting somewhat. You know, this is where we're going to set the table and talk. And then later on, it's like you can go back and look up the information and do the follow up. Right. Yeah, the message is clear that this is someone else's table and you're being invited to it. And I think that that's part of what I think needs to shift is that we must awaken to the economic power that we're actually sitting on top of. Right. Six, six, mm-hmm. million Latinos, you know. This is a lot of power and it's time that we start wielding it. And I think that, you know, showing up at that table like we own the place or building our own table and choosing who gets to sit at that table. That's the tone and tenor of, I think, what needs to come next. Right. So with that, I saw you on MSNBC and I heard you talk about where we're talking about building the table. A lot of women entrepreneurs, you know, men as well of color, we're all trying to build that table for us. And as you said earlier, we are the driving economic force in community and small businesses. Not only that, I really want to state right now that brown and black people are driving and keeping this economy, this economy going right now. I mean, the front line. We drive the economy. 
when you look at you know where the growth is on entrepreneurship it's in women of color we're the most entrepreneurial demographic i mean it's like no matter where you see whatever the ascendant group is right where the future is either we already represent the majority we're already for example transacting more on mobile latinos are than anybody else mm-hmm. either already sort of there and in the position of power or if you look at where the trends are which is the group that is growing fastest it's us which means that right for the future right and so no matter where how you slice it we are in, in a position of so so much power so with that how did we lose our power in the negotiating aspect and getting the funds that the communities desperately need to keep their businesses going i made a post in instagram about the percentages that you presented on msnbc when you were talking about how we were not given any of the distribution of funds we were not asked to be at the table when that whole bill got passed and now there's a fourth i think a second care act or you're going to have to correct me on this and a fourth package coming forth for us to receive money but yet we are dying on the vine and i was dm'd a couple times like teresa how were we not asked like tell me what happened Like yeah and someone else told me well I got my funds because she owns a dog washing shop in the community and that's her business and she said yeah I got the money but I can only get the loan if I prove that I had x amount of employees so it's 75% of the money otherwise I get x and she's like it's so complicated it doesn't even make sense to me she's like I don't even want it because I don't know what to do so can you set the that straight cuz there's other messages too they want to know like how did we not get asked how come it's so difficult and what do we need to do the how come we didn't get it i think is a reminder of how much work there is still to be done not just to you know for example narrow the wage gap and the you know wage inequality all these things that in some ways are almost like their bandaids to the problem right when we mm-hmm. pause of well hang on why was there inequity to begin with why was there you know why are these systems even in place why are there not more you know women and girls in stem when when i was starting in engineering we were getting close to 40% of women in engineering and somehow it nosedived now we have half as many women graduating in engineering as we did when i was starting we're going in the opposite direction right If it wasn't for the work of amazing people like Kimberly Bryant with Black Girls Code and Rashma Sajani and Girls Who Code, we would be even worse off, right? And so I think it's going back to the systemic structures, and and let me be really specific: systemic structures like we already know, and we have known for a long time, that communities of color tend to get rejected to rates that are like sometimes twice as high. as our white business owner counterparts right mm-hmm. that information has been there for years and we haven't acted on it and our leaders haven't acted on it and we slept on it and so what happens is now that came back to bite us in the ass quite honestly right mm-hmm. because the first thing that happens and those of us that looked at the legislation right when it was passed and then before the applications opened on Friday i remember Thursday night was probably one of the worst days of my life I would argue because I'm looking at the documents I'm looking at the application I'm looking at the legislation mhm well but somebody was telling me about a marvel comic where the superhero is the curse is that they see what happens next right um I felt that way I was looking at all these documents and I was looking everywhere for one line in the mm-hmm. legislation 
that said that banks cannot abuse this, that banks cannot give loans only to their buddies, that banks cannot prioritize people who have more employees or more revenue, all the things that would go against the spirit mm-hmm. of small business support, right? Mm-hmm. None of that was in the legislation. And by virtue of it being absent, it was very clear to someone like me, and I've never written a law in my entire life, mm-hmm. what was going to happen? You give the box keys to the hen house, and then what, you're going to be surprised that all the chickens are dead? Like, come on. Right. right. Like, it was clear that there were no guardrails put in place for the banks to do anything that we would consider to be behaving badly, right? Mm-hmm. And so the fact that they did exactly what they were allowed to do, because the legislation provided absolutely no guardrails and no sense that they would even be punished if they did something that went against the spirit. It's no surprise to me what happened next, right? And so you had big companies, like think about Shake Shack, they had 2,000 employees that they fired before they took the PPP. Now they gave it back. But it's common sense. If you have 2,000 employees to fire, you're not a small business. Right. And wasn't there a stipulation that you had to have under 500 employees? There were exceptions. Oh, my God. The loopholes. The loopholes were built in from the beginning for all of these people to take advantage. And guess what else there was an exception for? For construction companies. And construction companies are not even asked to stop working. So they weren't mm-hmm. even a category of companies that were you know, worst impacted because they are free to continue doing construction. They were never asked to stop, right? And so they should have been excluded from the legislation altogether. But we have somebody occupying the White House who is a real estate developer. So is it shocking that the majority of PPP went to construction companies mm. and hotel owners and people who, again, they took advantage of the systems that were already in place. The other thing that happened, which was huge, mm-hmm. that was going back to the fact that you know people of color get very few loans, is that the banks, the first thing they did was they limited who they would take applications from to only people that they had an existing lending relationship, which was really frustrating because you have, I'm sure people that you and I know who are like, I've been banking with Bank of America for 10 years. How come they're not accepting my application? And it's like, well, a banking relationship is not enough. They specifically stipulated that it had to be a lending relationship. So unless you have a business loan, a line of credit, some other lending relationship with Bank of America, they weren't even paying attention to you. That was their policy. And again, the legislation was written to allow that. Mm. And so we don't get loans from big banks. We've known that for decades. And then, you know, unless they're predatory. <laughs> and so, you know, it, it said this in a, in a webinar yesterday, like you can't have a pool party that for years and years and years was whites only Mm -hmm. and then tell me that you're surprised that no black and brown people showed up to your pool party Mm -hmm. that's what we're hearing that's what we're experiencing right now it's you know the systems were already in place and then what happened was this was this perfect storm of taking the already broken systems that were not serving us and now multiply it by 259 billion dollars of ppp in the first round right then 110 billion in this next round and so, you know, we tried, for example, we were putting pressure, of course, on the Democratic side to say, look, in the next tranche, which was going to be 250 million billion, excuse me, mm-hmm. of the 250 billion, Nancy Pelosi and Schumer put a, a statement out when they started that negotiation saying that they wanted to take 125 of that mm-hmm. and earmark it for small local banks CDFIs, which are these, you know, local banks that are there to right. serve, you know, people of color and women and veterans and people with disabilities. And 
where they ended up, just to give us all a sense of the negotiating abilities of our representatives, where they ended up at the end of the day was that that 250 total PPP group, it grew mm-hmm. from 250 to 310. Mm-hmm. The 125 that they were trying to get earmarked for us shrunk mm-hmm. to 30. What? 30. Wait a second. I don't get that. How does it, sh- how does it shrink? And how is it that Nancy Pelosi, who, I mean, the Speaker of the House, I know she can't pass a bill all by herself. And I'm, you know, I have to say, I mean, Nancy's a legend, right? I mean, she, we we have so much to be grateful for. Our oh, leadership. absolutely. But I also think that part of, you know, being a good constituent is to hold our representatives accountable. And that was absolutely incredible failure of negotiation. And I think that part of the reason, and by the way, the, the media stuff, the MSNBC stuff, like, thank you for your kind words. But I have to say, it's my least favorite thing to do. Mm. But I got to the point where I was in the rooms with folks trying to influence, and I saw that they didn't seem to understand how life or death critical this really was. And I thought, right, okay, well, we're going to have to go to the press and we're going to have to make them feel the heat, right? Right. And one of the things that I really felt was disappointing was that on the first day of PPP, so the day that the applications opened, which was chaos, you know, there was there was not a lot of clarity. The application was confusing. You know, none of the banks were ready. They didn't have their systems in place. On that first day, at the end of the day, now I'm in California, so it was probably, you know, definitely end of the day on the East Coast. Nancy Pelosi does a press conference and there was a number of different press pieces that covered this. Right. We, I know how this is. You've got a few minutes with the press. You got to pick your battles. You decide which of your talking points. What are the top priority things, right? One of the things that Nancy Pelosi decided to talk to the press at the end of that day, and just to give you a sense of where, from my perspective, I'm looking at what happened that day, and I'm seeing that three billion dollars of PPP was distributed in one business day, and I'm also now I don't have the data, but anecdotally, I have a pretty big network, and I'm seeing that no people of color are getting these loans, and I'm going. Okay, this is a nightmare. This is exactly as I thought it was going to be last night when I was reviewing things. And I, I'm outraged. I cannot believe that we are- As we all should be. As we all should be. And I cannot believe, it, this was only day one, right? Three billion dollars. Right. But I'm already seeing the signs that, holy crap, we might end up spending 259 billion in small businesses and we're going to be locked out of it. So to, if you ask me, what could possibly be more important than that, right? So then our, you know- representative is in front of the press and she's choosing to, you know, talk about certain things that she knows have to be fixed with the legislation. And one of the things that she chooses to talk to the press about that day, Friday afternoon, at the end of the first $3 billion of distribution, was the fact that venture capital was disappointed that they were not included in the legislation and that they were advocating for having VC-backed businesses have access to PPP. Of all of the things that our representatives could be outraged about and could say, and that day Nancy said, she's going to work with Donald Trump to see what she could do to advocate for the VCs. Of all the things you're going to talk about, that's the thing you're going to talk about? Wow. And that's what the onus is on us to make noise, right? Like, Absolutely. I'm not going to shut up about it. That's why I want you here because when I put that picture on my Instagram, I had questions I had put it on my Facebook and people were just asking me questions like, how is that percentage so high? Like, how do they know? Why are they not getting it? Well, they have to put their money somewhere, right? Why aren't the banks reaching out to them? And you said it 
clearly. They don't have that lending, quote unquote, relationship with them, taking out money, because we don't want to be risky in finance. Would you say that, that the community is very conservative about their money because we only have so little of it? And would you, would you say that the community having to take out big loans and having that banking relationship is really something that they don't want to take the risk. They'd rather just have a, a secure cash and conservative mindset for their business. And do you think the banks shy away from that? Or I want to understand because I bank with a small bank here and I asked for a line of credit just to get going to help me for the rest of the year. But it was on credit. It wasn't a loan. It was just through the credit. And that's sustaining all my platforms. But at the same time, I'm not taking out $50,000 in, in a loan. So is that the deal? We have to be taking out these big loans because they make the money on the loans. And if they don't see us as money generating type of entity, which we are, by the way, <laughs> for putting all our money in their bank, that they're not going to come to us for that. No. I, I'm, I'm really confused on that. And I think a lot of people are, too. I mean, I, I here's the thing. It's like I don't want the lesson that we all walk away from that. What could we have done to be and exist in the world differently? Mm hmm the system to not have screwed us over. The lesson is the system needs to stop screwing us over. Yes. There's legislation that was written that said that you prioritize the people with the least amount of revenue and the least balances on their bank accounts mm. because they're the ones that are least likely to survive this, mm -hmm. right? So the whole legislation should have been written differently. And then it shouldn't have been distributed by the banks at all, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It should, you know, as I said, I think on MSNBC on Sunday, the U.S. government have absolutely no problem collecting taxes from us. Even absolutely when not. Nope. We're undocumented. There is no problem. Even if you live in a rural middle of nowhere town where nobody, you, you know, even gets to you and the post office has a hard time getting you mail, they will collect your taxes. You're going to tell me that that same U.S. government can't reverse that and the same people that paid your taxes can't have then money reversed to them. So this idea that distribution is challenging or that it was somehow insurmountable, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And so I, that's why I don't want the takeaway to be like, we need to be different. The system screwed us over really hard and we have to make sure that that doesn't happen again. Now, if you ask me separately, does, for example, the Latino community or communities of color, are we more conservative with our money? I would argue no, because I cannot think of anything that is more risky than starting our own businesses. Mm -hmm. And we're starting businesses at faster rates than anyone else. And so I don't know that we're risk averse. I think that we take different kinds of risks. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're working, I think you alluded to this, right? Because we're working with a different deck of cards. And so we're going to take risks that look different. Is there room in our communities for education around debt? Absolutely. There's a chapter in my book that says debt is not a four-letter world. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because I do think that to your point earlier, we have been victims of predatory loans. We were taken advantage of during the mortgage crisis. We have reason, good evidence-based reason to be skeptical about predatory loans. And as a result, I think that that makes us a little bit gun shy. And there has to be definitely an evolution and an education process within our communities to understand that there's bad, there's bad debt. Absolutely, there's bad debt. And there's good debt. And there's the kind of debt 
that is really great to use when you're looking to double, triple, quadruple the size of your company, for example, right? right. These, these are strategies to help you move forward. And provided that you get good terms, provided you have good relationships with your banks, provided all these different things, you know, it's, it's definitely something where we stand to get some education and grow for sure. But that doesn't mean that we should not have been the primary recipients of the stimulus. I think those, I feel like those are kind of two different things. Mm -hmm. Okay. No, thanks for clarifying because I get confused about how, you know, my friends that have their own small business, they're getting the money, but they don't, or they never hear from their bank. And yet they had a loan with their bank and, but they're still not reaching out to them saying, Hey, so it's super confusing right now for a lot of people. Simple bias, right? The yes. same studies that say that we end up paying, you know, higher interest rates, that we get rejected more. Those same studies indicate, for example, you know, back when we used to handshake. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's going to be the new norm now? <laughs> you know, there was a more qualitative study that came out in the Washington Post about the more soft things. So there's a hard things that you can measure like interest rates and rejection rates, right? But then there is a study that came out and there are multiple of these around how often if you're a black business owner or you're a Latino business owner, they shake your hand when you walk into the bank. You know, how often they ask you for additional things to qualify for a loan that they didn't ask somebody with the exact same qualifications, but who was white for those additional pieces of paperwork, right? There is a sense that, you know, there's no question that bias is at play. Yeah. Well, we got to get more of, of our folks in the areas, as I've said in previous podcasts, into the industries that we don't have a lot of representation to start building that trust factor for one and two, so we can start to help the communities more in defining a strategy around our businesses, our healthcare, our houses, you know, how we develop our education. There's so much. So I feel that a lot of people are afraid to step into that arena or they're stepping out of the arena. And right now it's such a time and a call to action for us to really, I want to say, close ranks, come together, put the bullshit aside about Puerto Rican and this and that or whatever. This is too much of we're all in this together and we're not. But we can be if we do close those ranks. And yeah. I think and I feel that that a lot of women, a lot of Latinas I see, they are coming together. I on my last podcast, you know, Irma Olgin Jr., who does Bitwise Industries out mm -hmm. in uh, Fresno. Her get her PPP because her bank was being unresponsive. And in the end, we managed to find a way for her, but but her original bank ended up coming out of the woodwork and coming through for her, which was great. But this was yet another example of someone doing amazing work. She is amazing. Yes, amazing. Top of the list. Whoever the hell they made, I don't remember who the original bank that finally came through for her, but whoever they were, they should she should have been on top of their freaking list. And yet she was out there looking for a plan B and a plan C because she had to, because she's a good founder who is thoughtful and you know she's not gonna rely on this unresponsive bank that she's not sure, you know, whether she's getting priority or not. So she did the right thing, you know, and, and if that hadn't worked out for her, we would have figured out another way for her. But to your point, because we closed ranks, because we're helping one another, and because, you know, I called in every favor from every banker I have ever known, banks that are saying that they'll only take from their lending customers. There are a handful that have decided to make exceptions because I called in favors. You know, these are things that shouldn't be necessary, but they're what we're doing just to get through right now. 
Well, I see you at some point being up there with AOC. We need you somewhere in the legislation where you can talk through this stuff and say, hey, you know, you understand the money and, you know, just get up to speed on the bills. And we need more champions in the House and in the Senate that there's just no way around it. We need more folks to be political. And I think this is what I'm trying to get at is our businesses are political. We have to get out there and vote. This is something we can't stay quiet about. We have to do the Cersei shame out to all those (laughs) banks and just kind of say, hey, we can't do this anymore. We can't stand on the sidelines and everybody has to come together. And before I wrap it up here soon, I want to hear a little bit about your optics, your O3. So outcomes over optics. That sounds really amazing. Can you give us a little uh, snippet of that? Sure. It's O-cubed and it stands for Outcomes Over Optics. And it's basically the name of my family office. And so my personal advising of startups, my personal investing of startups, even my political work, right? So I'm very involved in the Movement Voter Project because of your point, right? I don't barely see myself as a lawmaker, but I definitely see myself having as much influence as I can from the private sector. So there's an organization called the Movement Voter Project that is helping to get especially communities of color out to vote and to be mobilized to make sure the next election goes our way. So every piece of work that I do, be it political, be it my investing of startups, even you know the book that I published, obviously Leapfrog, it all falls under essentially my family office. And I decided when people ask me, you know, what is the criteria that you use? Are you an impact investor? Are you a gender lens investor? People want to kind of put it in the box. And what I used to often say to people when they asked me what sort of investing I did, I would explain that I do a sort of investing that I call outcomes over optics, where <laughs> a lot of people that'll put a pink logo on something and say that it's good for women, or they'll, you know, slap a green box around it and say that it's, you know, for the environment, right? There are a lot of people that do impact washing or green washing, or I call it, right, pink washing. Pink and washing, yeah. I don't, I don't want to do that. I would much rather invest in businesses and in projects that are absolutely creating real outcomes, even if it's not something that is splattered all over the newspapers and everybody doesn't know about. And I talk about that, for example, when I invest in companies that benefit women, people will always assume that that means I invest in women founders. And the the truth is, is my network is heavy, obviously, on women founders. Mm -hmm. So I will probably always disproportionately invest in women founders. But the reality is, is if I'm choosing between a company, for example, nothing wrong with this company, by the way, there are limited time and limited resources. And so I have to make choices. And if I have to choose between a company, for example, that is woman owned, that has developed a new kind of nail polish, you know, Mm -hmm. for her, But I'm choosing between that and say two guys that have possibly found the cure for breast cancer, I'm focused on outcomes, right? So while a woman founder who developed a new form of nail polish might look good because it's a woman founder writing my annual report or or in the press, two guys over here in a pharmaceutical company might not be as sexy. The fact is, is a cure for breast cancer, in my view, Mm -hmm. making more of an impact on women globally than a new kind of, you know, nail polish. And so forced to choose between those two options. I'm choosing this one over here because it's going to produce real outcomes at scale to the tune of maybe billions of women being helped, right? And that's that's it. That's well, my- yeah, absolutely. I mean, so breast cancer still, we haven't found a cure. Yeah, so. and I'll tell you, that isn't normal in our industry. A lot of the times, most of the funds, for example, that focus on 
helping women, they're actually focused only on women-led businesses. And I think that that's good. It's necessary. Every investor has a different thesis. Every investor does it a different way. I just happen to focus on maximum impact. Right. And I love that. So that's a great opportunity for everyone to look you up and to see what you've invested in. Are there companies on the website that show what you've invested in or... My favorite company is one that is going to launch hopefully at the end of this calendar year. And it's been in stealth mode for a really long time. It's in the reproductive health space. So I don't necessarily disclose to everyone that I invest in, but this one that's coming up at the end of this year will be probably the most public thing that I've ever been involved with. And I'm really excited because especially at a time like this, Mm -hmm. uh, when a lot of women's health is being restricted and people are taking advantage of things like the pandemic, right? To restrict further. Being very active and vocal in the space is really important to me. I'm on the board of the National Institute for Reproductive Health as well. And I think that especially women of color and Latinas, you know, even Latinas, according to the last statistics that I read, and I was actually on CNN talking about this last year, even among Latinos who, as a personal choice, would not choose abortion, for example, mm-hmm. um, and don't agree with as a personal choice, are not for the, the overwhelming majority of Latinos do not agree in enforcing that choice on anyone else. It's a personal choice mm-hmm. and not agree on the idea of legislating and forcing other people to make the same choice. They understand that it's a personal choice and they wouldn't reverse Roe v. Wade. And I love that. And I love that our community is pretty cohesive in that way. And, and we just need to be more vocal about it. Awesome. So there you are, folks, and Latinas are making it happen again. I keep saying this. We are pushing the envelope. We are helping the communities. I'm saying we have the men out there, too, that are co-pilots as well. That's what I'm going to say. There are co-pilots. They can be more of them. But, you know, we, we're not taking shit. We're just moving the dial and we got to keep going and don't stay quiet about this. Your community and your business matters with everybody coming together, closing ranks and hold your bank accountable. I think it's important to hold your bank accountable. And so, Natalie, we're going to find you on social media, correct? At Some of them have character limits. So on Twitter, they wouldn't take my full name because it's too long. So Twitter, for example, I'm Natalie Molina and Natalie is with a TH. Mm-hmm. Um, Instagram, I'm Natalie Molina Nino. It's the full name, right? Mm-hmm. But yeah, either way, people can find me. I'm super easy to find, especially these days. And I will say this, the money might be close to running out on the PPP. But if anybody listens to this in the near future, there will be a stimulus for and there will be a replenishing of the PPP program. So even if you apply right now and you go to all the trouble of filling out the paperwork and everything else, and you find out that the money ran out, there will be a replenishing of that program within, we don't know if it's going to be weeks or what, but there will be a replenishing of the PPP, which means that if you complete the application process, you might be in a position to be first in line for the next tranche. I would encourage anybody listening not to be discouraged. Yes, We're not getting access, but part of the reason we're not getting access is because we don't have the knowledge. And there are plenty of resources to help you fill out those applications. Um, I am posting a lot of them in my social channels and in my newsletter that I'm sending out uh, multiple times a week. Where can they find your newsletter so we can have everybody sign up for that to get that information? Absolutely. So my book website is Mm leapfroghacks.com. And I believe that even if you just go to my personal website, nataliemolina.com, same thing. I've got it so that it's an emergency little pop-up that pops up and says, if you're a person of color who owns a business and needs help in the crisis, 
sign up. And I'm sending these out as often as I can because there are new resources, grants for businesses, all sorts of things popping up every day. I'm personally um, restricted in what I can say about some of them because I'm judging some of them. So I'm a judge, for example, on the grants that Facebook is giving out. I'm a judge on grants that Salesforce is giving out. And now there's a new one that Booz Allen is giving out that I think I'm going to participate in as well. But I can, it doesn't stop me from telling people about them and encouraging people to apply, right? Yeah. So yeah, we need we need to be spreading this information so that more and more of us know about it. Yep. And those links are available through your website, through your newsletter. So if you sign up, the newsletter page will pop up. It will give you tons of information. I've already received the first newsletter, I believe, once I signed up. And there is a ton of information there. And I am posting all your stuff as well, because it's so important financially for us to get our footing back because we have stepped back a few feet after uh, during this crisis. And it's going to take a long time for us to rebuild that foundation. So Natalie, I just want to, you know, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Is there anything you'd like to say? Yeah. You know what I would like to say, I guess is it it starts off negative, but I promise all in positive. And that is, (laughs) no, it's okay. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think when people are saying, you know, recover from the recession, bounce back, you know, uh, rebuild. I think that what that tells me is that there are a whole slew of people who, for the most part, don't understand the magnitude of what's about to happen. Right. Right. Our our analysis is that, you know, over 40 percent of black owned businesses are gone and they're not coming back. And I have one analysis about 50 percent of Latino business, small businesses gone and not coming back. That is so catastrophic mm-hmm. that's not bouncing back from a recession that's almost like building over right and right the, the opportunity there is to build over and do it right right and to to legacy systems are gone new systems get created and i guess i want to give our community especially the knowledge that like it's okay it's okay if you've got to start over it's okay if in order to start over you can't go and continue where you left off. Mm -hmm. There are going to be millions and millions of business owners who have to go back, for example, into the traditional workforce because their business is not something that they can just reopen tomorrow. Right. Right. And so there are going to be massive amounts of people who are going to have to upskill. Like I think about somebody who owned a thriving restaurant and then it's gone. Right. And maybe they've been out of the traditional workforce for 10 years while they owned that restaurant. And now Technology has changed. A lot of things have changed. And so going back into that workforce is going to be a challenge. And we have to be, I think, patient with ourselves. We have to forgive ourselves. You know, this wasn't our fault. Um, And we just have to be, as you said, in community, close ranks and support each other. Yeah. I don't know how you hold it together. I just cry and I get mad, but I'm I'm starting to control my emotions a little bit more. And move on. You just got to keep going forward and move on and help those and bring those that you can with you. And I love that you're doing that. And I'm giving more women that platform. And I want to keep hearing it. I want to spread the word. I want it to, to grow and how we can all help each other. So thank you so much, Natalie. I hope we stay in touch. And thank yes, thank you. And uh, I'll be in touch and send you a copy afterwards. Okay. Thanks, Natalie. Take care. Okay, bye. Thank you for joining us today on Latinas from the block to the boardroom. 
I want to thank Natalie so much for joining us today. Again, you can find her on all social media handles at Natalie Molina Nino on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And don't forget about her book, Leapfrog, The New Revolution for Women Entrepreneurs. I think that this is a very special time for us to all come together. And as Natalie said, this is our time and let's make things happen. So thank you once again. And don't forget to subscribe at Latinas from the block to the boardroom, which is latinasb2b.com and subscribe on all your podcast platforms. Gracias.